0: Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. and it's great to be with you together here this beautiful, glorious afternoon as we stand just over two weeks before Rosh Hashanah very, very close, it's time now for us to really do some self-introspection and take a deep look inside ourselves and see how we can improve what we can rectify, perhaps focusing and noticing, acknowledging all the good we've done in the past year, and likewise, emphasizing how we could be doing even better for the coming year. And so in order to do so, we at Chabad House are offering a beautiful event to the entire community to get you into that spirit of saying yes to a better year ahead. Because this coming Tuesday evening is Chai Elul, the 12th of Elul, sorry, the 18th of Elul, which is 12 days prior to Rosh Hashanah. Which of course our sages tell us that during these 12 days before Rosh Hashanah, technically you could say even 13 because this past year was a leap year on the Jewish calendar. We utilize each of those days to rectify one of the months of the past year and making it even better, doing our very, very best. But more than that, Chay is also a very significant day on the Jewish calendar, which we're going to discuss in a moment. But before that, I just want to inform you, invite you, and welcome you to join us for Say Yes to a Better Year, which will take place this coming Tuesday, the 13th of September, the eve of Chai Elul, 7.30 p.m. at the Capitol on the Park, which is on 101 Catherine Street. And we have four fabulous speakers, plus musical interludes. We have Feige Swimmer, who will talk about her breaking of barriers. We have Mendel Madali. who I'm privileged to consider a personal chavrusa in the mornings, and he will talk about the power of Torah study. So he will speak firsthand from his personal experience on how study makes a difference and best way to start your day. Gary Rutstein, he doesn't need much introduction. He will talk about changing direction. And then we have Rabbi Weinberg from Cape Town, Rabbi David Weinberg who is a renowned speaker in the community and he will focus on how yes you can say yes to a better year. So join us on Tuesday Chai Elul at Capitol on the Park 7:30 p.m. for this very informative special and important way to launch into the new year where thereby you'll have the final 12 13 days of the year to work on refining each of the past months. Of course, you don't have to wait until then. You could begin today, as our sages tell us, this is the time of the year when the king is in the field. What is the meaning of this metaphor, the king is in the field? Well, of course, the king is always accessible, but you know, when it comes to any other time of the year when the king is not in the field, you have to go through hoops, you have to go through red tape, you have to go through all types of diplomacy in order to be granted a meeting and that it could be difficult. God is always available and accessible but this time of the year is an especially propitious and auspicious time and therefore we seize the opportunity when Hashem is more accessible and divine mercy is so strong just as Hashem forgave our ancestors for the sin of the golden calf during this same time of the year. Well now is our time to grant atonement to be granted atonement for that, which perhaps we may have perhaps, you know, made some mistakes in the past year. And we certainly can do so. But certainly I'd like to use the significance of this day of Chai El to share with you a little bit about what it is that's so special about this day and why we're inviting you to a communal event to come celebrate and commemorate this day. Because on this day in 1698, was the birth of the Baal Shem Tov, and on this day, Chai Elo, in 1745, was the birth of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneir Zaman of Liadi, who was the founder of the Chabad Hasidic branch. And therefore, because of these two great luminaries, who were both born in this day, we should certainly glean inspiration from their teachings, from their insight, from the difference that they made in the world, because they certainly did make a tremendous difference. Difference in their approach in the way they, the, the paradigm, the perspective that they brought through first the Baal Shem Tov in his, ex, you know, uh, teaching of the inner dimension of the Torah, the teachings of Hasidus. That's perhaps why the followers of the Baal Shem Tov became known as the Hasidim because he founded the Hasidic movement and then. The Alter Rebbe, who elucidated further, gave us the Tanya, the Shulchan Aruch, and so many of his great works. And of course, the Chabad dynasty of each of the Rebbes, all the way until our Rebbe, who gave us their unique approach and aspect of Avat Yisrael, of love for all of our fellow Jews. And it's worthwhile to just talk a little bit about what was the unique aspect of Chassidus, because at the end of the day, Jews were around for thousands of years. Jews are around for millennia. So, what unique contribution did the Hasidic movement introduce? What was the purpose of the Baal Shem Tov teachings? You know, prior to him was the Arizal. The truth is, the Arizal probably gets much of the credit for promulgating the teachings of Hasidus, making them a lot more popular than they were up until then, and the truth is the Talmud talks about why the teachings of the Zohar Kabbalah, the Jewish mysticism, was something that was not known to the masses. But the Baal Shem Tov actually decided to take these teachings and to turn them inside out and to make them accessible and teachable to all. And that's one of the ideas that the Baal Shem Tov tried to emphasize in his teachings and why the Hasidic movement, why he felt it necessary. So that's something I think we could start our discussion, launch our discussion today is, what is the underlying theory of the Hasidic movement? What is the common thread that runs through all of its teachings whether you study Chabad Hasidus or other forms of Hasidus and certainly in our community that's so accessible and available, so many classes and teachings available through your shul The teachings of Chassidus today literally are everywhere. In fact, the Baal Shem Tov said that when he went up unto heaven, we'll talk more about that later, and was asked, when will Moshiach come? And the answer was, when the wellsprings of your teachings will be everywhere, when they will just be dispersed into every corner of the world, and there's no doubt today. I just saw a story yesterday of a family who were traveling from New York to Israel, and they had a layover in, somewhere in Spain. And unfortunately, they experienced theft where every one of their carry-on items, including, maybe it was just a carry-on bag, but it had in there all the items they needed, including their cell phones and jewelry, and most importantly, their passports was all stolen. And to think about this, who came to the rescue, the Chabad rabbi there in Spain, Who in Madrid who was able to help this family out. And the lady writing this article says, you know, personally in the past, I was a little bit critical of Chabad. For what reason are they needed to spend Jewish resources, collect funds in order to support, you know, a few visitors in Madrid, maybe a small community. But now she says she really understands because the purpose is to help every single one. Avat Yisrael is not limited to your neighbor, but anywhere and everywhere you might be. In fact, even in this week's parsha, we read about the mitzvah that if you see the donkey of your friend that is stuck on with its load, perhaps you could give that a modern interpretation. Your friend is stuck on the road in this car as a tire as a puncture. And the Chadat Me'azovla, you're busy, you have to get to a meeting, you have to get to work. You're hesitant to assist that person. What does the Torah say? of Tazivima, you certainly should help them. What's interesting is this commandment that's previously presented in the Torah where it says that Kitira Hamar sanacha where you see the enemy, the donkey of your enemy. This is an exodus in the Parsha of Mishpatim where it says that when you see your enemy's donkey struggling and you're hesitant to assist them. So what's the difference in that verse where it says you see your enemy and now later on in Deuteronomy where Mush is repeating the laws he repeats it this time as your friend. And maybe perhaps you could say you know there's a concept of a frenemy. You know what a frenemy is? frenemy is a friend who might you know appear to be your friend but you know that deep down they don't have your best interests at heart. You know that they're not really truly a genuine real friend. And sometimes unfortunately a very person you think you could consider and count as your own friend sadly proves to be an enemy. That's a frenemy. But one of the commentators I saw on the parsha tells us which one if you are driving on the road and you see two cars stuck, two donkeys struggling with their loads, one is of your enemy which is listed first in the Torah and the is of your friend, which one should you assist first? Now my mind says go to my friend because after all that's where my interest lies in helping my friend. So this commentary says, no, the fact that we have two verses in the Torah talking about this, one we know means for your enemy and the other is for your friend. Certainly, the fact that the enemy comes first is a lesson, a message to us. We'll be right back after these messages. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back here to Soul to Soul. Again, I'm Rabbi Ari and... We're talking here about the Suspicious Day Chai El coming up next week, Tuesday night. And as I mentioned before, you're all welcome to come join us at the Capitol on the Park, 101 Catherine Street, 7.30 p.m. this coming Tuesday evening with four guest speakers plus a musical interlude. And you certainly want to do so. It's a good way to be inspired to say yes to a better year and to learn about this significant day on the calendar. And as we were talking before, the Baal Shem Tov taught a whole new way and approach of life, the ways of Hasidus. But in order to properly understand and to really get into the understanding of what Hasidus is all about, I think we have to uncover, we have to define the, the, the qualitative difference, what Hasidus came to offer and what is Hasidus that so to say is different then the study of Kabbalah. You know, Kabbalah is quite popular these days. Although it was the concealed part of Torah that, for many generations, was not publicly taught and learned. So perhaps we can understand this. Chassidus gives the metaphor of an onion. What would you say? How is life similar to an onion? Now, certainly you could say that uh, onion doesn't have the most pleasant smell. And sometimes in life, things aren't so pleasant, so leka. Certainly the onion, if you peel it, it makes you cry. And life also throws us all types of challenges and difficulties sometimes. And sometimes in life, like an onion, you get fried and come in different colors as onions and life does. But all these similarities between life and onions may very well be correct, as different people have mentioned. But another very important, similar to the onions, feature of life is that it has many layers. In an onion, it's impossible to find a layer below without first peeling away the layers above. And similarly, in order to arrive at a deeper understanding of life and the world around us, we have to peel away the various layers. And as we go from layer after layer, we uncover deeper dimensions and aspects to life Everything in the universe and everything in the human experience is made up of so many layers. Now, of course, the the, the casual observer always sees just the superficial, the outermost layer. Well, that's what you see is just the peel, as an example, in the shop. But if you continue to explore and peel away existing paradigms, then you always reach much deeper elements in life. You'll always find a deeper insight and perspective. And all these layers we could obviously see in things like, and and at every aspect of like, you know, think of the study of physics, take for example, a scientific probe into the nature of light, you know, to the naked eye, life appears as a bright emanation from some light source, maybe the sun, but a little more research reveals that far more than just the exposure, just the sun's shine, as scientists know, light is actually a form of electromagnetic radiation. At a wavelength perceptible to the human eye, we're able to see these things. But light is obviously something that's a lot more uh, complex and deeper than that. With the priorities, if, if you think about the various properties that, life, that, that light has, both waves and particles, and you know there's, there's so much more to it. Think a, a, another example, when you look at a, a wooden table, you see a board lying on top of four legs. But if you prod a little further, we find that this table is formed by a unique combination of protons, electrons, neutrons, all zipping around at this fantastically high speed. And those protons, neutrons, electrons, everything else that's in there are all comprised of a deeper form of matter. And you could go way beyond, d- I'm no scientist, so I can't do that, but the point is, all you have to do is look and you realize that what appears simple is never simple there's always a deeper layer and yet a deeper layer and this in essence is what kabbalah is all about it's the art of peeling away the layers of the onion in the talmud and jewish law we encounter the outer layers when you study the talmud we see we get to learn how to physically perform the mitzvahs how to observe judaism how to put on to fill in to light the Shabbos candles, how to shake you little of how to eat matzah, all the things that we can engage with our five senses, the way to physically do so. But the study of Kabbalah shows us how to peel away the outer layers to find beneath the surface a far more complex and enlightening portrait of why God instructs us to do these things, not just what to do, But the how and the why, how they all fit into God's will, that's what you gain when you study Kabbalah. But there's somewhat of a catch. You see, whenever you start peeling away the outer layers of reality to uncover the deeper truths inside them, you have to lose touch with the outer layers. In other words, the deeper you explore, the more your mind shifts away from reality as you always knew it to get into the very spiritual language of Kabbalah, to understand the various names of God that it speaks of, the process of creation that it describes, the different kinds of angels that exist, you have to tune out the surface of the world and tune in to the deeper spiritual reality. So what's the problem, right? The awareness that you acquire of the godly reality remains apart from the awareness of the material reality. You basically always operate on one mode or the other. Either you're seeing the physical, material, mundane, corporeal thing, or you're getting spiritual, and all you're seeing is the, the depth, not the superficiality. Now, when it comes to physics, of course, you know this is a, a that 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 phenomenon makes sense. You know, as the physics student looks into the microscope and finds what's really going on in the rays of light or in the molecules of a table, they see particles. That you don't see the table anymore. You're seeing the neutrons, the protons. You're seeing much deeper into it. And when the microscope's removed, okay, you see the table. You're not seeing particles any longer. Without the microscope, you'll never see those particles. So, in the grand scheme of things, what the student of physics has learned hasn't really changed much. For the most part, you continue to superficially just see a table. And then only if you look in the microscope, are you actually seeing the depths, what lies behind it. Because you basically see two different worlds. The reality on the surface and the reality behind the surface, under the microscope. And they don't necessarily merge with each other. But this is where the works of Hasidus differ from the works, from the teachings of Kabbalah. The goal of Hasidus is for a person to not only become aware of the divine core of reality, which Kabbalah teaches us, but for that awareness to change one's perception of reality on the surface. In yesterday's Hayom Yom, the insight was not just to study the Torah. The Mishnah says when a person studies Torah, li'prakim. Lepraqah means, you know, from time to time. But Kabbalah tells us Lepraqah means that it actually takes a hold on you. It gets a grasp of you. That not only have you studied it, but you've become completely taken by it. That every fiber of your being, every aspect of your reality is inspired, but you live with it. Chassidus wants us to identify what's really going on and then redefine by it very and every aspect, every facet of our lives should be lived in that sense. That it's not just a perspective, but it's a paradigm shift, it's the way I live my life. And in that sense, Chassidus is like a set of eyeglasses, you can think about it. You know, when you're able to, it allows us to see inside out. These lenses don't blur our view of the surface in favor of the core, but rather they bring the surface sharply into focus in light of the core, not in favor of it, in light of the core. So we get to actually experience life from a much deeper perspective. And this is a life-changing quality of Hasidus. The ability to completely change the whole narrative of reality. This is what the Belshem Tov was trying to achieve in introducing the novel insights and perspectives, learning from the Hasidic Lends the Hasidic paradigm. Hasidus shows us the inside story of a passage of the Chumash. You don't just see it, you know, Bible is bibliography, it's his story, and you look at it and you see laws and history. But Torah is hara. When you look at it from a Hasidic lens, certainly you see it as my blueprint for life. This is my instruction manual, how I ought to live my life. When you study halacha, you go through the code of Jewish law, when you study Talmud, when you study the Medrash, when you're studying the stories of Jewish lore or even just the custom. It's not just about looking at the background. It brings the simple meaning of life that you see things from a whole different perspective and angle, your whole life is taken by it. And this works not only in Torah scholarship, but in every part of life when things seem ugly or dull, Hasidus shows us the divine beauty inside. It helps us redefine every aspect, every facet of our life as something that's exciting and beautiful. Where you might otherwise see challenges when you study Hasidus you notice the opportunities. When things seem beautiful and exciting, Hasidus helps us define them as an integral part of our divine purpose. Why did God put me in this world to begin with? And this is why Hasidus places such a great emphasis, not only on studying it, you know, cerebrally, but on avodas as digesting it, making those teachings part of our lives by training ourselves to see the spiritual reality as the reality This inside out approach becomes intuitive and all of a sudden you start seeing every aspect of our life that way. It's our default way of thinking, behaving, reacting to the world around us. So hopefully you get a little bit of an understanding of the basic difference between Kabbalah and Hasidus. Kabbalah certainly is the depth, the mystical aspect of Torah. Hasidus is the way you make it part of your life, the ability to merge the material and physical realities and to live your life that way. And hopefully when we are able to actually take this, for example, there's a a teaching from Hasidus, from the Rebbe Rashab, where he says a very powerful insight, he says, the teachings of Kabbalah made man out of godliness. What Chassidus did was, Chassidus makes godliness out of man. So, whereas the teachings of Kabbalah made out of godliness, no, made man out of the godliness. But Chassidus takes man and, and, and turns us godly. Kabbalah and Chassidus both speak about the nature of God and spirituality. They speak about the nature of people and the world that we live in. But they work entirely differently. Kabbalah decodes humanity in order to better understand God while Hasidus decodes God in order to better understand humanity and our role in this world. So this is a little bit of the background of the Hasidic movement, why the Baal Shem Tov started it and granted why at that time there certainly was skepticism and there was concern and of course after Shabtai Tzvi and other events in Jewish history where people felt a little bit Uneasy with it, and why the Vilna Gaon had his opposition. There was reason, so to say, to fear. That fear was justified, but the Baal Shem Tov likewise felt that this was a time the world needed this whole new light, especially after the Chelmnozki massacres and other incidents that happened at that time. The Jews' morale was low, and therefore he introduced the Hasidic way of light, of life, and started the Hasidic movement, and and gave us this this core. Of what it stands for. Now, of course, we should get a little bit of a taste, today at least, of to see how these foundations serve as a common thread between all the different parts of Hasidic thought. And if we had time, we could do this, you could do this for dozens of teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. But of course, here on the Sol radio show, we're limited in our time ability time constraints. I certainly want to welcome the the seniors who have time during the day to come join us at our Chabad Seniors Club at Chabad House where every day we have fascinating classes accompanied with videos and PowerPoint presentations to really illustrate the ideas in a very palpable and understandable way and we can ask all your questions. No questions are unwelcome. Every question is cherished and appreciated and you could delve much deeper. But here as we are in a one-hour time slot in Soul to Soul on the radio, I will try to limit it to three particular insights. And I want you to join me now in trying on three different lenses, so to say, in this Hasidic inside-out perspective. The way, you know, put on the Hasidic eyeglasses and learn from the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov on how to see the world in the unique approach of Hasidus. So let's start the first lens talk about a basic principle, fundamental idea in Chassidus, that in life there are no coincidences, no mistakes. Here's a famous teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. He said that Hashkacha Pratis, the idea of divine providence, extends to this world as much as it does to the supernal Realms. He said that every event that happens, from the journey of a detached leaf that's fluttering in the wind, to a worm that's slithering in the desert or in a city, to a conversation between a fish in the sea, to the minute movements of the smallest creature found in the ocean. All of these, the Baal Shem Torahs take place by divine providence. Nothing in this world happens at random. So when you don this lens, this paradigm, this perspective, we behold the most remarkable perspective of the world around us. Not just the big things, not just the great grand miracles, Not just even the sun rising in the morning, but every single thing, every aspect of our life. You see, many people in the world, Jew and non-Jew alike, believe in God, believe in the greatness of God. We believe in an omnipotent creator and power. But many believe that because God is so great, God is too great to be concerned with the pettiness of this world, to have a relationship with a little individual like me, the very finite creatures that inhabit the world. You know, how could such a great infinite power possibly cure or or have the time and the headspace to worry about the world? Now the thing is that the danger of this notion is, you know, you can't even be overstated. This idea is precisely what leaves so many people walking around the earth feeling like their entire life is the result of some tragic mistake, God forbid. A person comes to believe that a mistake made by someone who raised them leaves them damaged or that mistake that they made in business leaves them impoverished or that a mistake that they had in a relationship leaves them unhappy. In fact, a person comes to believe that he only ended up here by some fluke that probably his parents never wanted him to begin with. And so, you know, the sum of his life is all just one monumental error. God forbid. But there are people walking around who actually feel this way. Such a person fails to see the hand of God. The Baal Shem Tov taught us that everything in the world, big or small, in my life and in your life, it all occurs by Ashkacha Pratis, a carefully crafted Divine Master Plan that accounts for every single detail of existence. That means two very important things. Firstly, it means that God knows about everyone and everything that happens and moreover it means that God cares about everyone and everything that happens. Each and every one of them is required to be here. We're all indispensable to God's plan and without you, without me, without every single creation they actually would not be completing the great plan of creation. There's a story told that once the Baal Shem Tov went out with his disciples into the field and they suddenly felt the strong August wind and the leaves started to fall from the trees. And the Baal Shem Tov asked one of his disciples to turn one of those leaves. And guess what they saw as they turned it? They saw they found a small worm. And the Baal Shem Tov explained to them, he said, you see, this poor worm sat on the leaf and suffered from the scorching heat of the sun but God sent the wind so that this leaf would fall off the tree and this little worm would receive some shade. You think from this perspective and you see how nothing is at random. Every single thing in this world has a purpose or reason. That, you know, a, a, a successful balabuster runs her home with a strong hand. Yeah, she knows exactly where everything in the house is, but more importantly, she knows why everything is where it is. And a home that's run this way is not just organized, it's a home in which every single object serves a purpose. Sometimes that purpose is, a, is the very fact that having your first grade spelling test in some drawer that, that you know, Bubby kept because she's proud, because she has nachas. You know, it seems like it's just clutter, but there's a reason. The truth is, as whatever way you wanna look at that metaphor, God runs this world and God knows where everything is and why, and that means that everything that exists and everything that happens has a fundamental purpose. God is not only present when we behold a beautiful sunset and we say, ah, oh, my God, how majestic, so divine. God is also there when we lie in bed at night and we're unable to, to, to you know make sense of what's happening in our lives. We're all of a sudden in that state, for some reason, God wants it to be that way and the point is not to minimize in any way God forbid the pain, the suffering that people are experiencing but rather when we wear this lens of divine providence of Ashgach Pratas, it really truly empowers us to know and to really feel that everything that happens is part of God's master plan. It allows us in any situation that we find ourselves to find God speaking through it and sometimes he speaks to us from light and other times it might be from darkness. But we have to realize that God is always there in the most smallest, most minute, tiniest details. Divine providence doesn't just apply to the watershed moments in our lives, but also to the nitty-gritty details of the daily grind. And it applies not only to human beings, but as the story of the Hashem Tev illustrates, illustrates to, to animals, to plants, even inanimate objects, God not only determines who I marry or whether my efforts in business will succeed or fail, God forbid, but also which tree every little squirrel or that boon is going to climb, when it's going to eat breakfast and how it's going to find it. So the next time you're out in the bush and you're hoping for some divine experience, remember, to find God, you don't have to gaze at the brilliant stars shining so far away. God is there just as much as God is in a handful of dust in the earth. Each and every grain exists by divine supervision. And we call that Hashkacha Pratis. We'll be right back after these messages. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, Riding on 101.9, Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Keevman, and we've been talking about the significance of the upcoming date, Chai Elo. This is an opportunity for us to rectify the past year that it's been each day, another month of the past year. And please come join us on Tuesday at the Capitol on the Park Hotel in Santon, 101 Catherine Street for a phenomenal event that you don't want to miss, bringing extra life to the month of ELO and to inspire you to say yes to a better year. Four great speakers, Feige Swimmer, Mendel Medali, Gary Rutstein, Rabbi David Weinberg, as well as a musical presentation. You don't want to miss this event. Come for one hour and leave inspired to, to, to just have a great year ahead. Say yes to a better year. And ladies and gents, in our final segment of today's Sol to Soul show, I want to share with you just two more aspects, two more inspirational teachings from Hasidus of why the Baal Shem Tov, his birthday on Chayel, why he brought us and taught us the Hasidic way of life and how we could all benefit from it. The first lens we put on was one of Ashkacha pratas, realizing that everything is for a reason. Each and every one of us exists here because we're indispensable to God's plan for this world. And here is a second teaching of the Baal Shem Tov who tells us that each and every one of us is like an only child to Almighty God. In fact, the Baal Shem Tov himself used that metaphor because he was born to his elderly parents when only child in their old age. So this was an apt metaphor for him to employ. When we take this lens from the Baal Shem Tov's personal experience, we're able to appreciate the depth of our connection to God. Many people believe that a connection with God is based on our behavior. And according to that theory, a person is born with no inherent connection. When you study Torah, you do mitzvahs, well, thereby you're connecting to Hashem, which is true because the very word mitzvah doesn't only mean commandment, but mitzvah means a connection. So each time I perform a mitzvah, I am strengthening my bond and connection to Hashem. But the truth is that that is not it's not only the pious students or the religious observant Jews who are the ones who have a bond and connection to God. Every single one of us, even a person who has no time to study Torah, has this inextricable bond, a connection with the Almighty. You don't even have to know how to read Hebrew. You don't have to do a mitzvah. It's true you should be doing mitzvahs because that will reinforce the bond and connection. But there's no doubt, as the Baal Shem Tov taught, that every single one of us. By the mere fact that we are born, that we're created, that we have a soul, means that we have this unbelievable connection with God. And this was one of the great teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. The bond between us and God exists from the moment of birth and even before that, we are deeply connected to God because of who we are, regardless of what we do. Of course, it's true. The more Torah we learn, the more mitzvahs we do, the more we reveal that connection and, and strengthen it. But regardless of what we do, that connection exists all the same. And if that's the case, every single one of us, without exception, is equally precious to Almighty God. And that is something very important for us to bear in mind. Now there's a story of the Rebbe Rashab who once, he was talking very highly about a particular Jew, and there was a, a person visiting him and said, I don't understand why you're talking so highly about that individual. I know him. He's not as impressive as you make him out to be. Well, considering this man was a a diamond dealer, the, the, the Rebbe asked him if he could actually show him one of his diamonds that he had present. And this man actually took out his diamonds. And when he was... Going through the diamonds, the Tov, the the, the, the Rebbe Rashab commented, what's so special about that one that you seem to be charging so much for? He said, ah, for that you need to be an expert in diamonds. In that sense, the Baal Shem Tov was teaching us that from God's perspective, every single one of us is precious. And if you can't appreciate how precious we all are, well, maybe you need to be a better expert when it comes to these things. The Rebbe once had a meeting with a group of students and he was asked, you know, the psychodynamic approach from Sigmund Freud, it claims that man is fundamentally animalistic and lowly, but the Hasidic approach, on the other hand, we see man, every single one of us, in essence, as divine and pure. So somebody was asking the Rebbe, who are we really? Freud certainly was an authority on human behavior and psychodynamics, certainly had some perspective there. Why did he only see the the, the, the uninhibited uh, libido, the, the characteristics of, of man. And yet, Hasidus tells us about this divine reality. So the Rebbe explained to him that even if we accept the assumption of the psychodynamic approach, there's no contradiction between the two approaches. Imagine that you're standing in the garden. What do you see? Spectacular plants grow and bloom. Now if you start digging under them, of course, you're gonna find mud and dirt and, 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 and soil. But if you don't stop there, you continue digging much deeper. You're going to uncover most precious natural treasures. Firstly, maybe you'll hit a borehole, inverted water. Maybe you'll dig deep; you'll uncover oil, precious metals, diamonds, rubies. Who knows what kind of, what you'll uncover underneath. The psychodynamic approach took the person who looked straight and decent and peeled off the first layer of the onion. There you found that the id. The id is the that animalistic tendencies which we have. But if you dig a little deeper as Hasidus teaches us, you'll unpeel another layer of the onion. You will reveal the hard core which is the natural treasure, the precious diamond that each one of us has. And in fact, extensive knowledge of Torah, even righteousness, can often dim that hardcore diamond. It requires you to remind yourself this teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. True, you might be a Torah scholar, you might be the greatest tzaddik in the world, but my greatest virtue is the fact that I am like the only child of the King. And this is why the Baal Shem Tov, he actually liked ordinary people. He spent time with the simple Jews. He saw their simplicity as a pure reflection of God. He took the time to cherish, to appreciate who they were. Because his emphasis in his teachings was the fact that each one of us is created means we matter to God Almighty. We are indispensable to the divine plan. And because the connection with God is inherent in, to our very identity, nothing in the world can break it. A person could try to hide it, to ignore it, to forget about it. Maybe never even be aware of it to begin with. But it's always there. It's always present. At the end of the day, the Baal Shem Tov tells us without any qualifications, you are as dear to God as the only child born to the elderly parents, just as the Baal Shem Tov himself was born to his parents in their old age. So we have to remember that whether one believes in God or for some reason or other hasn't quite found that belief, they convince themselves they're atheists. God certainly believes in them. God loves us. Nothing in the world could change that. God sees me as a prince, and the truth is, I have to see myself that way as well. Too many people are walking around the world with a sense of failure. I'm nothing, I'm a loser. Stop telling yourself these things. We have to stop focusing on all the negativity. Now when you say yes to a new year, to a better year, realize that if I put on this lens that Hashem Tov taught, then I acknowledge and recognize my inherent royalty as God's child. And then, even though I may have engaged in some inappropriate silly behaviors, maybe I've sullied myself, maybe I've done things that got myself a little schmutzig. You know what? The diamond of the rough itself is also sometimes dirty. Of course it's dirty, but you can make the difference and bring it to the fore. And that brings me to the third teaching of the Baal Shem Tov that I wanted to share with you today, which is to love each other. The Torah tells us, to love your fellow as yourself. Rabbi Akiva said, Zekla is the most fundamental principle in the Torah, the Baal Shem Tov taught, that a soul comes into this world to live for 70 or 80 years just to do a favor for another. He said a physical favor, and all the more so, especially a spiritual one. And when you don that lens, it shows us how it's possible to really, really be there for one another, to love one another, how to uphold both of those teachings. The Baal Shemta's father told him to love every Jew with the full flame of your soul, no matter who it is. And that is the teaching of the Baal Shemta, that Shemto, that, 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 that being a Hasid is meant to live by. That's the stamp of somebody who lives in the Hasidic ideal. Just like the other teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, to love your fellow is not just something that he came up with. Obviously, it's a a biblical commandment. The Torah tells us this. But the Baal Shem Tov taught a much deeper meaning to it. You see, before the Baal Shem Tov came along, people knew you have to be nice to others. That wasn't an innovative insight. But many people viewed it as another legal responsibility not to harm others, not necessarily something as a proactive Ideal, just don't do to others what you don't like done to yourself as Hillel taught. So you might have been very passionate about your relationship with God, but without ever really having a relationship with other people. The Baal Shem Tov taught us that the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael, to love your fellow as yourself, is about a real deep connection between one another. And this connection is not some nice feature of Judaism, but it's the most important pathway to God. To love and have a relationship with God, you have to love and have a relationship with God's children. Love your fellow as yourself. It doesn't just mean not hurting somebody, but it means valuing another person as much as you value yourself, even to love another person as much as you love yourself. How, of course, is that possible? We think it's not so easy. In the time of the Alter Rebbe, It says that the the love of Hasidim was greater than the love of biological brothers. And yet the Alter Rebbe says he didn't he didn't manage to reach the same love that the Baal Shem Tov wanted that he taught. How could I care about somebody else, somebody on the other side of the world? Well, perhaps the story of the family who got stuck in Madrid a couple of days ago, maybe that sheds some light on why there are shluch and emissaries of the Rebbe in every far flung corner of the world. And therefore, it, you know, as difficult as it might be, how could I love, forget about somebody far away, how could I love my neighbor or a coworker that perhaps, you know, what kind of relationship that might be, the challenges it entails? How could I love them as much as I love myself? And the answer, perhaps, based on today's ideas, is to work from the inside out. On the surface there's a part of you that's not connecting with a part of them. But if you peel away the layers, you'll find what lies at their core. A diamond, a piece of God, which I share because it's deep within myself too. And if that's the case, just like siblings who are born of the same parents, they share a biological DNA, we all share that spiritual DNA. We're all cut from that same spiritual cloth. We are all family. Once we can appreciate that, we can work from the inside out to redefine those around us. The flaws or those annoying habits of our coworkers or neighbors or family members, that's not what defines them. Even if their psychological makeup and their persona are something that is to be remedied, that's not what defines them. Every single one of us is defined but the deep divine reality that, re- that lies within each of us, the fact that God created us, the soul inside each and every single one of us, that, my friends, is the ultimate, ultimate definition of who we are. And perhaps with these three lenses, we can understand the Baal Shemta's revolutionary proclamation. He said, I was put here in this world for what? Just to do a favor for another. Because that individual is the same part of God as I am. The soul that I have is a chelik ale mal mamash, an actual part of God. So is yours, so is mine. So the next time we find ourselves in a position to help somebody, like the Torah this week says, you see your friend's donkey. And how much more so, as it says in Exodus, when you see your enemy's donkey struggling, we have to know. Who knows? Maybe the whole reason I was created was just for this. Our love for one another comes from that deep rooted sense that we all are truly family. The Hasidim once used to say, this piece of bread that I have is yours just like it's mine. That would emphasize yours before they said mine. No narcissism. And it's from this perspective, this lens, that a Hasid has moved perhaps to travel across the world to help another out. This is the idea. You are the king's only child. You have that love for each other because each one of us is indispensable to God's plan. Let's happen to this insight, this perspective, because this is what Hasidus came to teach us. And indeed the Alter Rebbe whose birthday also is on Chai Elul, he elucidated it on this even further. And he told us how each one of us has, you know, the Baal Shem Tov taught that this concept of loving each other but the Baal Shem, the Alter Rebbe took that Kabbalistic idea and he developed them intellectually as well. And the point was that, that the teaching shouldn't just remain some abstract or in the realm of inspiration, but rather it should become firmly grounded within each and every one of us. And this is something that the Alter Rebbe took it one step further. The of the Baal Shem Tov and his successor, of the Magid were built on kernels of deep mystical ideas but they spoke more in inspirational terms. They spoke straight to the heart, not so much to the mind. The Alter Rebbe came along and he delivered these emotionally awakening um, teachings that we should take it to the heart, the, the mind and heart should work with each other. The Alter Rebbe didn't want to leave it just as an as, as, as a abstract concept, but to teach Hasidim how to develop these ideas intellectually, Why? Firstly, because inspired ideas without a proactive intellectual involvement leave part of the person out of the experience. It means that the heart is awakened, but to a degree, the mind has not changed. And therefore, the ideas are not fully assimilated into the totality of our reality, which is what yesterday's was telling us. You have to make the Torah prokhim. It has to become part of your life. You have to be overwhelmed, taken over by it. And secondly, the emotions born of inspiration, but not firmly anchored to their underlying philosophy usually are transient.